It's 1979, and the all-new Jeopardy is going off the air. Merv Griffin tried to revive the show after the original was canceled. He brought Art Fleming back as host, and he thought, maybe, just maybe, this would be Jeopardy's moment. It was the old show, but not really. They eliminated a contestant in the second round, which a lot of people, including me, felt was not true to the format. That's Bob Bowden, game show aficionado. He remembers watching the Jeopardy! revival. Art Fleming was still Art Fleming, but he wasn't the same ebullient self that he was in the earlier run. So Jeopardy! was a bit of a disappointment. The show had a daytime slot, but the ratings were lagging. Daytime soaps were dominating the airwaves, and it was hard to get eyes on a quiz show. I was attending UCLA at the time, and I was so devastated about losing Jeopardy! for a second time in my life that I sent a letter to NBC complaining about the cancellation of Jeopardy! And I actually got a response from the head of daytime programming. I still have that letter. I'm looking at it right now. And he explained to me why Jeopardy! was canceled, that it just didn't achieve the audience figures that they were hoping for. Then an opportunity came in 1983. King World Productions, a relatively obscure TV syndicator at the time, wanted to buy the distribution rights to Wheel of Fortune. Merv had launched Wheel in the 70s, and it was an immediate hit. And Michael and Roger King, the brothers who owned King World Productions, knew Wheel could be an even bigger hit if it was in the right markets at the right time slots. They struck a deal with Merv, and the plan was a success. Wheel rose to the top of the ratings charts. So why not try the same thing with another one of Merv's shows? That's when Merv got an idea. What if he sold Jeopardy? See, Merv loved Jeopardy. He believed in Jeopardy. It was his baby, and he would do whatever he could to get it back on the air. Besides, it was the 80s, and things seemed different. The board game Trivial Pursuit was outselling Monopoly as America's newest obsession. College enrollment was on the up. Even Weird Al Yankovic, the musician known for parodies, got in the mix with the hit, I lost on Jeopardy. I was there to match my intellect on national TV against a plumber and an architect. Gotta love Weird Al. It seemed like the show had a real chance. So it was decided. King World Productions would syndicate Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy together. They were now a package deal. You couldn't get one without the other. There was just one thing. Art Fleming, who had been the host of Jeopardy for 12 and a half years, who had hosted over 2,800 episodes, wasn't coming back. But maybe this revival called for something different. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of all of us, welcome to America's favorite answer and question game, Jeopardy. You know how we play it. We provide the categories and the answers, 
and it's then up to our contestants to give us the right questions. Enter Alex Trebek. I'm your host, Buzzy Cohen, and from something else, Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV, this is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show. This week, a new host for a new era of Jeopardy. We hear from so many interesting people on this podcast about their love for learning. What if you could learn from the world's best all in one place? You can with Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with over 200 of the world's best for just $10 a month. And you can access Masterclass on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. Confidently navigate the media with the influential, intellectual Noam Chomsky. Use science to solve your problems with Bill Nye. Or learn from the past with Pulitzer Prize-winning historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. I personally enjoyed James Clear's class that is helping me build smarter habits to help tackle daily challenges. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com jeopardy. That's 15% off at masterclass.com jeopardy. Masterclass.com slash jeopardy. And now, here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. September 10th, 1984. This is Alex Trebek's first episode of Jeopardy. He's standing next to the clue board with a full head of curly hair, a mustache, and a snazzy suit. If you're ready, then let us play Jeopardy. Here are the six categories you're going to be dealing with in this first round. Lakes and rivers, inventions, animals, foreign cuisine, actors and roles, and number, please. Wow. Check out this old school clue board. <laughs> it's just it's just like a wall of TVs. I'm not sure if I've ever actually watched a whole one of these old episodes before. And if you're wondering, I am in fact watching this in real time. Our very first answer is, these rodents first got to America by stowing away on ships. Greg. What are rats, Alex? That is absolutely right. That gives you $100. Select again. For 200 please. The answer is, there are about 40,000 muscles and tendons in this part of an elephant's body. Frank. What is the elephant's trunk? Yes, that is right. You're on the board. All right. Let's... Alex is going a mile a minute. There's literally no time to take a beat. Before we continue with our game, I thought we might take a few moments to chat with our contestants. Ah, yes, the contestant interviews. Lois Feinstein, you're sitting in the middle right now, but it says, according to my card, that you're a newlywed? Right, that's right, about five months ago. How long did you know your husband before you married him? Thirteen years. You knew him for thirteen years? Yeah, I guess we wanted to make sure we really liked Obviously each other. Obviously, you're going to uh, make it work this time. I think so. Hmm, a little clunky. And Greg Hopkins, you're an energy demonstrator. Yes, what does an energy demonstrator do? Well, we do things like this. Let's imagine this balloon is a uranium atom. We take the atom, and we shoot it with a neutron. Bang, it pulsates, vibrates, and splits into two separate atoms in a reactor. Gives us energy. <laughs> Greg, try and relax. <laughs> There's the Alex we know. But he seems 
kind of nervous too. And honestly, can you blame him? I know it's hard to imagine this now, but at the time, Alex Trebek was not a household name. So how did Merv Griffin choose Alex? It had something to do with a game show called Wizard of Odds that NBC launched in 1973. One of the writers was Canadian actor Alan Thicke. Yeah, that Alan Thicke. And NBC came to him, asking if he knew a good host for the show. Alan thought of someone he hadn't seen or talked to in a while, but had left an impression on him. A staff announcer with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, also known as the CBC. And now the wily wizard himself, Alex Trebek. Alex had been hosting shows for the CBC since the 60s, everything from teen dance programs... The World Series of Baseball to the World Series of Pop Music. This is it. You've heard about it. Music Hop. And every week at this time, we're going to be bringing you some of the top tunes from the hit parade charts all across the country. To sports and news shows. Good morning. Here is the CBC National News. First, the main items. The Inter-American Peace... But Wizard of Odds was Alex's first big break in the United States. And pretty soon, word got around that he was extremely sharp. Somebody said, hey... There's this guy from Canada who's hosting the show and doesn't use cue cards. I said, you got to be kidding. This is Peter Marshall, former host of the show Hollywood Squares, who became one of Alex's closest friends. But originally, he just knew him from afar. So I went and I saw a show. The show wasn't terrific, but he was wonderful. Wizard of Odds only lasted a year. That wasn't so unusual. But Alex spent the next several years building a name for himself across the American game show scene with shows like High Rollers. Now, here's the man with the action, Alex Trebek. Double Dare. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Double Dare. This is a brand new game that has us all very excited. The $128,000 question. And here's your host, the star of our show, Alex Trebek. Battle Stars. Thank you so much for joining us to help us round out the week here on the new Battle Stars. Until one day in 1980, he got a call from the president of Merv Griffin's company. Would he be willing to fill in on wheel while the host was out sick? Then came a second call. This time it was big, really big. Would Alex be interested in hosting Jeopardy? Legend has it that two people put a good word in for Alex for this Jeopardy gig. One was Lucille Ball, not a bad person to have in your corner. The other person wasn't famous, but she was important to King World Productions, the syndicator. It was the mother of Michael and Roger King, the brothers who owned the company. She was very ill and literally in the hospital. That is Dave Williger, who was a producer on Jeopardy in 1984 and also worked on Wheel. And uh, she had said to Michael, she believed Alex Trebek should be the host of a game show. And it was this deathbed request, I guess, or command almost, that Alex ultimately be the host of Jeopardy. The offer came at a critical moment in Trebek's life. I remember a game show he did in Canada (laughs) and they screwed him. They didn't pay him. They owed him $50,000. This is Peter Marshall again. And I can remember, because he was struggling, 
he had done all these game shows, but he got a divorce and a whole thing. And he was kind of looking for work. And when he got Jeopardy, let me tell you, he called me. He called me Petey. He said, Petey, I, I've just been offered Jeopardy. I, he said, I don't know. He said, I think it's a little esoteric. I said, are you crazy? That is the perfect show for you. I said, listen to me, Alex. You're going to run at least 10 years. At least 10 years. But at that time, the question on everyone's mind was, could Jeopardy be a hit again? Same show, new host. It all hinged on Alex. Find out more after the break. Factors ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. How do you feel following in Art Fleming's footsteps? That's Oprah interviewing Alex back in 1984, shortly before the relaunch of Jeopardy. Well, I'm not exactly following in his footsteps because the show went off the air. Twice. But people still do remember the old Jeopardy. They do, and I think it's going to help me because uh, what it does is the new audiences who will be watching us now come to our program uh, with a good feeling about Jeopardy. They remember it fondly. And for that, I have to thank Art Fleming because uh, he was such a good host for 12 years on NBC and helped the show become the hit it was. For many Jeopardy fans, Art Fleming was the face of Jeopardy. And for some, he always would be. Art Fleming was Jeopardy, and Jeopardy was Art Fleming. That's Dave Williger again. You couldn't imagine Jeopardy without Art. And now, here's the star of Jeopardy, Art Fleming. Good morning, thank you players. Thank you, Don Pardo. Thank you, my friend. Good morning. That's who people were missing. Even after Alex took the stage, some folks were holding out hope that Art would come back. This is out of the blue, but any possibility you'll ever, in some shape or form, return to a Jeopardy show? No, I don't think so. I did it for 12 and a half years, 2,858 shows. There are other things much more important in my life. I love it. I think the show is great. I'm glad it's back, but my life takes me all over the world. Maybe even the first year, we would get hate mail. Alex would get hate mail. Alex (laughs) would go through the fan mail himself and read these sometimes horrible letters from fans. And he couldn't just 
necessarily toss them aside because that wasn't Alex. Alex wanted to contact these people. I can't tell you how many times I actually walked into his office. He was sitting there with a fan letter on his desk and there was a phone number attached to it. He would call these people and he would spend time on the phone asking these people to please give him a chance because he loved the show and he was going to be good for the show. He was going to be a great host. Alex was determined to convince the public that he was right for this job, even as the letters kept rolling in. At first, his more reserved style seemed to alienate viewers. I think people were fascinated by Alex Trebek, but not necessarily in love with Alex Trebek. He was so handsome in the 80s, and he dressed like Don Johnson from Miami Vice. This is Lisa Brofman, longtime Jeopardy producer. And there was a long period of time when people thought he was a bit arrogant. He was very good about foreign accents. They felt that he was showing off sometimes. Part of that was thanks to Alex's French-Canadian upbringing. He could speak fluent French, but it carried over to other pronunciations too. Here's Suzanne Stone, a former senior researcher at Jeopardy. If he had to pronounce a town in Finland, he wanted to make sure that the local consulate told us how to pronounce it correctly. And uh, sometimes he would get on the phone too with whoever it was uh, to make sure that he heard exactly how to pronounce a, a foreign phrase or a foreign word. It's spoken in Hamelina and Huvinka, seven letters. Andrew, what is Finnish? That's it. He was meticulous, but to the audience, it kind of seemed like he was being a bit of a snob. Still, the people at Jeopardy knew that their host had some je ne sais quoi. It was just a matter of getting the audience on board. They had launched a campaign to promote Alex as the new face of Jeopardy and decided to lean into the very traits that viewers were critiquing, Alex's suave demeanor and debonair attitude. In one of the ads, there is a beautiful woman floundering in the water, Trebek, looking particularly natty in a tux, comes to her rescue and offers her a hand. You can stay here. It may be dangerous. How do you think I got the yacht? By putting yourself in jeopardy. Never has a quiz show seemed so saucy. Then you don't mind being in jeopardy? Jeopardy is my life. It's the second most exciting game I know. There was a whole string of ads that played off of this Trebek persona. In one ad, he coolly reads a paper in an office full of people dancing. In another, he jokes about knowing the difference between the two Twains. I don't know the answers to all the questions, but I do know the difference between Mark Twain and Shania Twain. On top of the ad campaign, Alex took other steps to try and connect with Jeopardy! viewers. He started talking directly to the audience. During the show, when we'd be taping, many times, you know, the host of a show is more worried about what's coming up in the next segment, and they're studying their notes, and, you know, obviously, Jeopardy, there's 61 questions in the show, and uh, he needed to be up on everything that was coming up and focused. But he would always take the time to go out into the audience and talk with those audience members. And he was funny and, you know, clever and and silly at times. 
and uh, he was winning them over, basically one by one. And I think maybe they went home and told their friends and, uh, you know, and so on and so on. But it still took time. There were still several, you know, years probably before people really started accepting him as the Jeopardy host. And several years before people started embracing the new Jeopardy in general. The first couple of years are the hardest. Suzanne Stone again. Who knew what was going to happen in television? We would have real hiatuses where we would file for unemployment. The show was on shaky ground. It was new and finding its footing. We were only on, I want to say, like a dozen stations that had picked up the show. And in Los Angeles, we were on, I believe it was midnight or 12.30 a.m. And we were so disappointed because in such a major market like Los Angeles, you know, who would ever watch our show? And if you're not successful in Los Angeles, then the show's going to go away very quickly. And to complicate things, when Alex signed on to host, he also took on the role of producer. And I said, uh, who's going to produce? We don't have one yet. Can I produce? Yeah. That meant, along with his hosting duties, Alex was making decisions about how the show was run. Everything from the set arrangement to wardrobe to the content itself. He was the face of the show and the person who was studying the show from backstage, trying to figure out the necessary tweaks to make it a success. But as we all know, it's hard to wear two hats at once. More after the break. As producer, Alex raised the standards of the show. Suzanne Stone again. He wanted the material to keep lively, but also have that bedrock of information that we could be trusted with and that the audience could, you know, use or share in their daily lives. Oh, I saw something on Jeopardy last night, and that proved to be true. Here's Alex Trebek in an interview with the Television Academy. At the beginning, we weren't a certain how long it was going to last, because we were getting feedback saying, oh, it's too tough, too tough. And uh, I told him, well, I'll ease up on the material. And I didn't ease up on the material. Two months later, they said, hey, you did well. It, it's, it's good. It's, it's all softened up, and I haven't done it all everything. But the most important change Alex introduced as producer had nothing to do with the content. It was related to the buzzer. Let's go back to that first episode of Alex hosting Jeopardy. Notice anything weird? Lakes and Rivers 400, Alex. Beginning of a new category. The river mentioned most often in the Bible. Lois. Um, denial. That is, is incorrect. Greg. What is the Jordan? That is the right question. Select again for me. Lakes and Rivers for 200, please. The answer is Scottish word for lake. Frank. What is lock? That is right. Uh, let's try inventions for 100, please. Brand new category. The answer, Marconi's wonderful wireless. Hear that beeping sound? It comes almost as soon as Alex starts to read the clue. That's a contestant buzzing in. They could ring in whenever they felt like they knew the correct response, even before Alex was done reading the clue. So after that first season, producer Alex instituted a new rule that would help host Alex immensely. I made one change after the first year. 
which we've uh, kept up all these years, and that is that the contestant can't ring in until I've read the clue in its entirety. That rule change solved a few problems. First, players couldn't be ringing in early only to pause trying to come up with the right answer. So there were fewer incorrect responses, which makes the game go much smoother. It also cleared up viewer confusion because audiences at home had no idea who rang in first if they just heard this beeping while Alex was mid-clue. And finally, the new rule would allow the audience watching at home more time to read the clues along with Alex. You got to play along too. We're going to get into this when we do an entire episode on the buzzer, but the game wouldn't be what it is today without that rule change. Alex was working around the clock, but hosting and producing was a lot to take on, and sometimes the two jobs seemed in opposition to each other. Lisa Broffman remembers Henry LaCalle, the show's former art director, getting peeved about this. Henry was a wonderful character, and he always came dressed in a three-piece suit. He was so dignified and so well-spoken. But at one point, he went storming up to Merv and said, you've got to put this host in his place. He's trying to tell me how to design the set, and I won't have it. And Merv looked at Henry and said, Henry, he's also the producer. Here's Dave Williger again. I do recall times when we first began taping the show where uh, we'd be in the middle of the show and Alex would um, make a mistake and he would just, he would shout out, uh, let's cut. And like, we'd all look at each other and th- why did he just do that? He was wearing that producer hat as he was wearing the host hat and both those hats did not fit at the same time. I finally said to him, look, during the show, you host the show I'll take care of the other stuff. After doing double duty for the first three years of the show, Trebek turned to hosting full-time. He had catapulted the show forward, but there were still some other kinks they had to work out. Previously, clues were presented manually. They were written out on little boards, and someone would pull up a card when it was time for that clue. But now, there was a new system for clues. They were uploaded onto a disc, which was inserted into a computer on the stage, and that loaded the clues onto the board. Like all technological developments, it saved time, but it also caused some grief. At the beginning, we had some glitches. About once every five shows, when the game board would change from the logos to the dollar amounts, something might happen where all of the monitors didn't pop on or the wrong things popped on the monitors. And Alex Trebek would take off his shoe and throw the shoe at the game board and then say some bad words. But Alex being Alex, he played it up as a bit and got huge laughs from the studio audience. It became a regular thing, and we would go on with it. Eventually, the electronics engineer, Ron Schwab, was able to fix the issue, and that put an end to Alex's shoe-throwing days. With fewer malfunctions, Jeopardy started to find a rhythm. Alex was building a rapport with the audience, and ratings were picking up. Suzanne Stone again. I think it was in the third season that Alex happily announced that, you know, we were going to be year-round employees. It seemed the tides had finally turned. People liked the new Jeopardy, 
and they really liked Alex. He won his first Emmy in 1989, and then just kept on winning them. Thank you very, very much. I can't tell you how scared I was today with two out of three nominations. <laughs> if I had not won, I don't think I'm a good enough actor to sit out there and put a smile on my face and say, isn't that special, Bob won it again. But I am, I am honored to uh, have been selected as a winner. A playful little jab at fellow game show legend Bob Barker. But the truth was, Alex and Jeopardy were taking off in ways that other hosts and other game shows never had. TV programs and movies started name-dropping Jeopardy. Like, in 1990, Cheers built a whole episode around it. In it, one of the bar regulars, Cliff Clavin, played by John Ratzenberger, makes it on Jeopardy, with Alex guest-starring as, of course, himself. This is Jeopardy! Now entering the studio are today's contestants. A doctor and chief of neurosurgery at Boston General Hospital, Milford Reynolds. A lawyer and mother of six, Agnes Borsig. And a mailman, Cliff Clavin. And now, here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Jeopardy. Thank you, Alex. You're welcome. Cliff is in the lead going into Final Jeopardy. The category is movies. Here we go. Our final Jeopardy answer is Archibald Leach, Bernard Schwartz, and Lucille Lesseur. Good luck, players. Cliff's response? You wrote down, who are three people who have never been in my kitchen. No, I'm sorry. That, too, is wrong. The correct response is, what were the real names of Cary Grant, Tony Curtis, and Joan Crawford? Despite Cliff's protests, those people, of course, were never in his kitchen, he loses. But later, Alex comes to the cheers bar to tell Cliff that his response should have been accepted, and then tries to resign. You know, it's a funny thing. You spend years hosting a show, and you get into the habit of thinking there's just one correct question for every answer. But life doesn't always work out that way. The world is much more complex, and you discover that there are many different ways of looking at the universe. Yeah, so, uh, what are you going to do? I think I'm going to quit my job as host of Jeopardy. <laughs> Maybe spend a little time in Tibet. <laughs> oh, no, Alex, 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 sit down here. I mean, you, you, got, you, you don't know what you're saying. Well, now, wait a minute. How can I go on hosting the program if I'm filled with all these doubts? <laughs> all right, Alex. Think about what Jeopardy means to America. Now, it's more than just a game show. I mean, it, it's as much a part of the national fabric as the postal uniform that I wear with pride every single day. So you think I should stay as the host of Jeopardy? Absolutely. Cheers nailed the episode, capturing what Jeopardy meant to viewers across the country, and Alex nailed his cameo. By the 90s, it was clear that Merv had finally created a version of the show that had real staying power. And despite some initial skepticism, Alex Trebek had real staying power too. Next time on This Is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show. Over the course of the next four months, I actually did about 25,000 practice buzzes 
I tried with my right thumb and my left thumb. I tried with index finger. I tried it with my pinky. I tried it with all 10 fingers, actually, just in case one of them turned out to be super fast. This is Jeopardy! The Story of America's Favorite Quiz Show is a production of Something Else, Sony Music Entertainment, and Sony Pictures TV. It's hosted by me, Buzzy Cohen. This episode was produced by Julia Doyle and Sylvie Lubau. The series producers are Julia Doyle, Sylvie Lubau, and Mia Warren. Associate producer is Serena Chow. Our series editor is Sarah Kramer. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, Sarah Kramer, Michael Davies, and Suzanne Preddy. Production management help from Sasanya Davenport, Tamika Balance-Kalazny, and Ike Egbatola. Our theme music was composed by Hannes Brown. Our engineer is Cedric Wilson. Special thanks to Charlie Yetter and Steve Ackerman. And a big, big thank you to the Jeopardy staff and crew for all their time and help on this. Shout out to Alexa Machia. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.